Well, this summer I will be celebrating 30 years since I became a follower of Jesus. And I'll never forget after I first became a follower, I was so excited about all the changes Jesus was making in my life. And I wanted to share that with my family members and my friends. But I tried and it was very awkward. I didn't quite know how to go about doing it. And so I started taking a class at the church that Lisa and I were attending about how do you share your faith. As it turned out, I was actually pretty good at it. And so my church decided to send me down to Fort Lauderdale, Florida to get further training in how to go about doing this so that I could bring that back then to the local church. And so then I could actually help our whole area as well. And I'll never forget that week in Fort Lauderdale. It was really, really intense training. Every single day from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m., you're sitting in a classroom. People were lecturing, and you're taking notes, and you're doing all that kind of stuff. Then after a quick bite to eat in the evening, we would actually then go out to do what they called on-the-job training, where we would take the things that we were learning and go out and try to share our faith with the people in the Fort Lauderdale community. Well, I'll never forget the one night my team was sent out onto the beach in order to share our faith. Now you're going, wow, that sounds really cool, right? Not only are you going to get to share Jesus, but you're going to getting to do it there on the beach. Well, what I haven't mentioned to you is that we were required to wear suits and ties as we were out sharing our faith. So you can imagine this scenario, right? That you're a family of four, you're there on the beach, you're enjoying the ocean, maybe something to drink and something to eat, and all of a sudden these like strangers just sort of accost you sharing Jesus and saying, you know what, you need Jesus like we have because, you know, if you become like us, you can, you can do all the things we're doing, like sharing Jesus on a beach in suit and tie. I mean, who would want that type of thing, right? Being on the beach in a suit and tie. And so two things happened on that night. Number one, nobody came to know Jesus because, well, who's going to trust you know, a couple of people in suits and ties there on the beach? And then number two, it changed me because I realized in that moment as we were doing that, that look, the message of Jesus never, ever changes. But the method and how we share Jesus, that does have to change. We can't do things the way that we've always done it, you know. And, and for that particular church where I was getting that training, man, they thought that unless you were in a suit and tie representing Jesus, you just couldn't possibly share Jesus. The message never changes, but the methods must. You know, there, there's a lot of churches all across North America today that they're still in their Sunday school classes with the, with the kids doing flannel graph. Of, you know, and then Jesus went here, and Jesus, well, a flannel graph was really cool in the 50s and 60s, but today, kids, they're not going to get into that. So the, the message never changes, but our methods must change. And so that's really, it, it impacted me of, okay, well, what is the best method of sharing Jesus? Well, the best method is the way Jesus did it. And looking how his early disciples, how did they get the, the new church started there in Jerusalem, and then it started to, to spread and impact the whole known world. How did they go about doing it? Because that's how we should be doing it as well. And so today we're beginning a brand new three-week series leading up to Easter, and we're going to talk about how do you become a bridge builder? In other words, how do you take God and the world and, and sort of build a bridge in between? How do you go about doing that? Well, let's uh, actually look at the, the term bridge builder because it's not a theological term. It's actually a secular term. Here's the definition of it. It's on your outline if you're taking notes here today. A bridge builder is a person who attempts to connect or do what? Or reconcile opposing parties. So again, a bridge builder is a person who attempts to connect or reconcile opposing parties. 
you maybe have tried to be a bridge builder in your life at some point with a family member. You know, you had a couple family members, they were against each other. Maybe you do it at work. There's a couple people that you're trying to reconcile the two parties together. And what we need to understand is that as followers of Jesus, that's our job as well, is to reconcile Jesus to a world who so desperately needs him. In fact, that's our number one job as a follower of Jesus, is to help people get connected to Jesus and then grow in their relationship with Jesus. The Apostle Paul, he's talking about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 18, when he says, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone and a new life has begun. So that's what happened for me 30 years ago this July. The old life was gone. The old Gilbert was gone. A new Gilbert was born on that day. I was a new creation. Paul continues on. He says, and all this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of what? Of reconciling people to him. So what is the task that we've been given? What is your job and my job, those of you online, what is our job? To reconcile people to Jesus. You're going, well, why, why is that? Well, because sin has separated us from God. All of us are on opposing teams. So remember that, that definition of a, a bridge builder is somebody who attempts to connect and, and to reconcile opposing parties. When we're in our sin, we're in the opposite team of God. And so once we've been reconciled and we've accepted his offer of forgiveness and leadership in our own lives, once that reconciliation has happened for us, now our job is to join Team Jesus to help reconcile other people back to him as well. In other words, to bridge the gap from where they're at to where he wants them to be. Paul continues on then in verse 19, and he says, God through Christ offers us reconciliation to himself by not counting our sins against us. And now he has entrusted us with this message of reconciliation. So again, if you've ever wondered, what on earth am I here for? Why has Jesus left me here? What is it that I'm supposed to be doing with my life? It's for that very thing. He has given you the message of reconciliation. That's your purpose in life. Paul continues on then. In verse 20, he says, we are therefore... Remember, therefore is always, what's it there for, right? So you always go back. So he says, you've been reconciled. And he says, therefore, since you've been reconciled, you are Christ's ambassadors, and God is making his appeal through us. We speak on his behalf when we say, be reconciled to God. Now, I love that term ambassadors there. Again, not a, a biblical word. It's a word you've heard before. As the United States, we have ambassadors that live in other countries of the world. And you know why they live in those other countries? It's not because they necessarily want to be there. They love America. This is their homeland. But they live in these other lands because they're like, you know what? I'm going to be a representative of the United States to other governments and other people. And I'm going to communicate, here's what our values are. Here are the things that we like and, and our things that, that we're trying to, to do what the agenda of the United States is all about. And occasionally the president of the United States will ask the ambassador to speak a message to that foreign king or government or leader or president, and that ambassador doesn't speak their own words. No, they communicate the message that the president has given them to say. What we need to understand is that that's who we are as followers of Jesus. We are his ambassadors 
I've shared this with you so many times in the past. This earth, this planet is not your home. This is not your home. Our home is in heaven. We are foreigners living here on this planet. And what are we here to do? We are to be Jesus' ambassadors. Not to speak our own words. Not to give our own agendas, our own thoughts, our own values. No, we are to communicate his thoughts, his agenda, his values. We're communicating, here's what our king would have for you to do. Because he wants to you to join us in his kingdom. That's what Jesus said that we should be praying, that his kingdom should come and his will should be done here on the earth just as it is in heaven. And so that's really what it's all about. You and I have been given this message of reconciliation to reconcile a lost and a hurting world to Jesus. In other words, we are to be a bridge builder, to share our faith with as many people as we possibly can. The word for this is commonly called evangelism. People go, Ugh. How, how, do I, how do I do that without becoming like a weirdo or something? Or, or how, do I, how do I do evangelism without people going, you're just trying to like shove your religion down my throat. How, how do we go about doing that? Well, again, we've got to look at how did Jesus do it? How did his followers do it? And so today as we kick off this brand new series, I want to look at a story from Scripture of how they went about doing it. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to John chapter 1. That's where we're going to hang out today, John chapter 1. If you're uh, joining us online right now, if you look in the upper right-hand corner of your screen, there's a little button up there called Talk Notes. If you push that button, it's going to give you all the scriptures I'm going to talk about, all the main points I'm going to do as well. For those of you that are live here in the room, welcome to you. If you go to our website, exponential.church, there on your phone, you can download all the notes, the talk notes there as well to be able to follow along. Now, as you continue to do that, let me give you a little bit of context of what's going to happen here in John chapter 1. So before Jesus begins his public ministry, there was somebody else who had come on the scene that was becoming really, really famous. His name was John the Baptist. Now, don't confuse John the Baptist with John, who we're about to read here. John, the disciple of Jesus, Jesus' closest and best friend, is completely different than John the Baptist. John the Baptist was actually Jesus' cousin. And John, he's going around, he's preaching this message of repent, repent for the kingdom of God is near. You need to come into this kingdom. And John, he, he starts to get this very large following of people. They're following him around and they're thinking, this guy, John, he, he is, he's baptizing people. He must be the Messiah. And John's going, no, 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 I'm not the Messiah. In fact, the, the Messiah is coming and I'm not even worthy to get down and untie his sandals. Now, ultimately, it's revealed to John that it's his cousin Jesus that actually is the Messiah. And at Jesus' request, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. All right, so you got this picture in your mind. Jesus has just been baptized. The Spirit of God has descended down. And now people know that, okay, Jesus truly is the Messiah. That's where we'll pick up the story then in John chapter 1, verse 35. The next day, John was there again, and two of his disciples were with him. Now, let me just say this. John didn't just have two disciples, or students would be another way to say that word. He didn't have just two disciples. John, by this point, had hundreds, if not thousands, of disciples. John was what today we would call an influencer. 
You know what I'm talking about? These influencers that are online, social media, Instagram, and they're, you know, they're, they're Instagram influencers. And like everything they say, every product they talk about, people just flock to go do it because they're following that person. And, and whatever they point to, they go, oh, that must be important. So I need to buy that or I need to start doing that or I need to start dressing in this way. And so there are people who are influencers. And that's what John was in his day and time. He was an influencer. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. People were being influenced by him. People were following after John. Now, in the particular story that we're looking at here today, though, only two of his followers were actually with him there at the Jordan River. And we read what happens next in verse 36. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him, meaning Jesus, and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. John is using his influence not to point the finger at himself at, look how good I am. No, he's using his finger to point at Jesus and say, look, there goes the Lamb of God. He is pointing his followers to Jesus. Look at the next verse, verse 37. When the two disciples heard him say this, they did what? They they did what? They followed Jesus. John points and he says, look, there's the Lamb of God. He's using his influence to point to Jesus. And they're influenced by John to actually become a follower of Jesus then. They, they leave John the Baptist to follow after Jesus. And as time goes on, more and more and more of John the Baptist followers are leaving him in order to follow after Jesus, which makes some of John the Baptist's followers upset. They're mad. They're like, John, everything we've been working on here, man, you, you've got a, a reputation now. I mean, you've got some fame. You've got a platform here. You're ruining it all. You're, you're telling people to go follow after Jesus. No, you're, you're ruining the whole thing. And John's like, good, good. I don't want people to follow me. In fact, here's what John says in John 3.30. John the Baptist says, he must increase in importance while I must decrease in importance. Now, that leads to a very convicting question, doesn't it? Who are you pointing to? In your life, who are you pointing to? Whose name is it that you're trying to make famous? Is it your name? Or are you always constantly pointing to Jesus, trying to make his name famous? Famous. You see, we live in a very self-centered, or we may even say selfie-centered world, right? That it's all about me, my agenda, and what I'm doing. You, come, follow me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, follow me on Instagram, follow me. That's what the world says. But the lesson that we learn here is we've got to constantly be pointing to Jesus making him famous and not ourselves. So don't try to build your own name. Don't try to build your own platform. Learn this lesson from John the Baptist. In fact, it's the first lesson I put there on your outline, that I must use whatever influence I have to point people to Jesus rather than to myself. Use whatever influence you have to point people to Jesus, not to yourself. Now you're going, I don't have any influence. I'm not like these people online and stuff. I don't have influence. Well, there's a, a theological term for that. It, the, the Greek is actually baloney. 
Um, it, it's, it's tough to actually say, right? And, and under, but b- baloney, right? In other words, you're lying. You have influence. We all have influence. I don't care who you are. You have influence in your home, in your work, in your school. You have influence in your neighborhood, at your kids' activities. Every single person you come in contact with, you're either pushing them away from Jesus or you're building a bridge towards Jesus by the things that you do and by the things that you say. So we've got to be sure we're always pointing people to Jesus. That's what John the Baptist was doing here. He was using his influence to point people to Jesus. And what was the impact of that? Well, look at verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. So, again, picture this in your mind. John the Baptist, he has this large following, but now he's pointing people to Jesus. No, you need to follow him. Don't follow me. Go to Jesus. One of the guys that we read about in the story, remember there was two people with him there at the Jordan River? One of those guys, his name was Andrew. Andrew was the brother of who turns out to be Peter, who turns out to eventually become like the, the leader of the disciples and the leader of the church, okay? So that's Andrew. He's now following after Jesus. And what's his immediate response? Well, we read about it in verse 41. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon Peter and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. So what is the first thing that Andrew does? He does what? He goes and he finds somebody else. He finds Peter to say, look, we we have found Jesus. We found the Messiah. And I've shared this with you before. Found people, find people. Say that again. Found people, find people. So I look around, most of you, and I know many of you online, you, like me, had an experience with Jesus where you asked for his forgiveness and you asked for his leadership. Once you were lost, but now you have been found. And once you have that, You've been saved of your sin. You've been given eternal life forever. You've been given the abundant life right now. You have been found by him. Found people, find people. Don't keep that good news to yourself. If you had the cure for cancer and you didn't share that with people, how selfish would that be? You have something better than the cure for cancer. You have the cure for sin. You have the cure over death. You have the cure over hell. You have the keys to eternal life. Found people, find people. That is our number one job, to reconcile people, to build a bridge between God and humans. And so Andrew, right away, he recognizes who Jesus is. And the first thing he does is he goes and he tells his brother, It wasn't one thing on his to-do list that, well, I'll get around to it eventually. No, it was the very first thing that he did, which leads to the second point on your outline. I must make sharing Jesus with others the first priority of my day and of my life, which leads to the second convicting question I want to ask you today, and that is, is that true of you? Is sharing Jesus the first priority of every single day of your life or not? Now, I'll be honest with you, when I'm doing, like, what I've got to do, my role for exponential, it's pretty easy because, right, it's my job to make sure that Jesus is the first priority in in sharing him. But listen, I'm like you guys. 
I've got family, I've got hobbies, I've got errands to run just like you do. And if I'm being super, super honest, sharing Jesus isn't always like at the top of my mind. And the, the first thing that I'm, I'm thinking about as I'm out and about, because i got places to go and people to see and things to do. Anybody relating? Or am I the only busy person that sometimes I just think selfishly of myself and, and what I've got to do? But we've got to stop doing that. We've always got to have in our mind that sharing Jesus, building a bridge, is the most important thing that I can possibly do. Now, in those moments that I'm like, just, I got my head down, I'm going fast, I'm doing my thing, does that mean I've stopped loving Jesus in that moment? No. Does that mean I'm afraid of sharing Jesus in that moment? No. It's just that I've gotten so consumed with my own agenda that I forget that his agenda is more important than my own. And my encouragement to myself and to all of us is we've always got to keep a focus on his agenda. Literally, every action that we do, every interaction that we have, every word that we speak should be filtered through a lens of, is this helping build a bridge to Jesus or not? And so instead of being at the grocery store and you got your head down and you're like going through the self-checkout as fast as possibly can, or you're there at the checkout line and you're like just, you know, you're praying, but you're praying, hurry up, lady, come on, I got places to go. What if instead of doing that, what if you sort of had your spiritual antenna up and you said, yeah, I've, I've got places to go, but in, in the midst of all that, I'm watching and I'm listening and I'm in tune with the Spirit of God that is there something right now that God you're asking me to do to bless that person? Or is there a word of God that I should speak to this person over here? God, is there something you would have me to do right now that would help build a bridge to you? Now, sometimes it's what you don't say or don't do that can make the difference. If you're out today, Sunday, and you got your Jesus t-shirt on, you know, and you're at the restaurant there, and you're yelling at the waiter... Or people hear you, you know, and you're telling jokes or using language that is obviously sinful. People are like, yep, there's one of those Christian hypocrites. They got their Jesus t-shirt on. But listen how they're talking to people here in this restaurant. Look at the language that they're using. Again, everything you say, everything you do is being evaluated by people. And it's either pushing people away from Jesus or it's drawing people in to them. It's building a bridge. Same thing with your car. You got your Jesus bumper sticker right on there. You know, Jesus is my co-pilot, which by the way is so unbiblical. He better be the pilot. But you got that, you got your little Jesus fish there, and you're cutting in and out and honking at people and tailgating and giving one-finger salutes to people. There goes one of those Christian hypocrites. And what have you done? You've actually hurt the cause of Jesus in that moment. Again, every action, every word, you've got to filter it through. Is this helping bring people to Jesus or pushing them away from Jesus? Again, what, what if we took a different attitude? had that spiritual antenna up, 
looking around and we're going, you know what, I, I think God's called me to pay for the person in line here behind. Or, or you're, you're walking out and, yeah, you've got a place to go and you're pushing your grocery cart out. You know, you've got to get to the car. i got a place to go. But you notice a, a lady, she's struggling getting her groceries in. You say, Jesus, it's not about my agenda right now. It's all about your agenda. And so I, I'm going to go over there and I'm going to help her get those groceries in. And she says, oh, that's, that's so nice of you. You know, people, people don't tend to do things like that anymore. What are you going to say in that moment? See, this is your opportunity when they've sort of set you up with that. You could just say, um, you know, no problem, have a great day. Or you could say, you know what, the reason I do things like this is because Jesus has done so much for me, and I'm just trying to serve people. You don't have to preach the gospel at that moment, but just a little bit acknowledgement that I'm doing this because of Jesus. And what does that do? It links in their mind, oh, Christians, they serve other people. They go out of their way to help people. And what has that done? That's built a bridge. Is that one little thing, is that going to lead somebody to Jesus? Probably not. But it's another seed that's been sown in their lives that's going to help bring them to Jesus, to see that Christians are different. Or how about this one? I've mentioned this before. You go out to eat at a restaurant. One of the easiest things you can do is say to your server, Bob, Mary, Fred, you know, Martha, whatever their name is, we're a bunch of Christians, and we're getting ready to pray for our food here. Is there something we could be praying about for you? I can't tell you the number of times. I mean, dozens and dozens and dozens of times that I've done this in restaurants. And it is so impactful for those servers to know that somebody cares enough for them to pray. So impactful. But I'm ashamed to say there's probably been hundreds, if not thousands of times I haven't asked that question. Why? Because, again, we get so caught up in our own agenda. All I'm asking you to do is just slow down. In every single moment of every single day, just be in tune with the Spirit, saying, Jesus, is there something I can do right now that would help build a bridge between you and this person that's right here before me? You see, what you've got to realize is that every single person you've ever locked eyes with is somebody who matters to God. And if they matter to God, they've got to matter to you as well. Yes, that person that votes differently than you do, they matter to God. Yes, that person who dresses differently than you or, or has a different religion than you do, they matter to God. Everybody matters. And our job is to help bring everybody to Jesus. Not just the low-hanging fruit. I mean, it's very rare that somebody just comes up to you and says, what must I do to be saved? Well, that's pretty easy to do evangelism then, isn't it? It's much harder work to go to the people that maybe you don't agree with, that you don't look like, that you're not like, and show Jesus to them. To literally have your, your Jesus suit on, so to speak. See, it wasn't a suit and tie that people needed on that day that I was there in Fort Lauderdale on the beach. They needed to see Jesus in me. That's what they needed to see. And so just be the hands and feet and the mouth of Jesus to as many people as you possibly can. Again, make sharing Jesus your first and top priority. And that's not me saying it. That is actually Jesus' command to you. We call it the Great Commission. It's found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. We read this. 
Then Jesus came to his disciples and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The command that we've been given is to make new and better disciples. This message of reconciliation that we've been given, what is it all about? To make new disciples, to make better disciples. Again, historically, those two words have been called evangelism and discipleship. But really, it's all discipleship. We are to be discipling people who don't yet have a relationship with Jesus and how to have a relationship with Jesus. That's a bridge that you're building. And then people who already have a relationship, how do we help them get closer to him, to grow in their faith? Well, again, that's building a bridge. We are to be bridge builders. Listen, Jesus' last command, this is his last command to us, is to go and make disciples, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. His last command needs to be our first and top priority. Let me say that again. His last command needs to be your first priority. I should have put that on your outline. I didn't. Write it down. Take notes. Tweet it. Facebook it. Whatever. Jesus' last command needs to be our first priority. Now, I know some of you are going, but Gilbert, I, I wouldn't know what to say. Or, or what if somebody asked me a question? I, I don't know how to answer it. Well, I'll answer that last one first. Somebody asks you a question that you don't know how to answer, guess what you say to them? That's a great question. I don't know. <laughs> don't make something up. Say, that's a great question. I don't know, but here's what I am willing to do. I'm going to go home and research that, and I'll return back and give you the answer. And then actually follow through and do it. Don't be a hypocrite and like, well, whoo, got out of that one, right? <laughs> actually go back. And what are you going to do? You're, you're going to email me or, you know, you talk to somebody in your life group. Hey, I got this great question. I don't know how to answer it. What, what do you guys think? And then you go back. And then the, the whole thing of, well, I, I wouldn't know what to say. Well, here's what I want you to remember. Jesus is not asking you to be his attorney. Let me say that again. Jesus is not asking you to be his attorney. Jesus asks you to just be a witness. Think about it in a court of law. If you get called in to be a witness, you don't have to be an expert in, in murder or whatever the crime is, you know, whatever it is. You don't have to be an expert in any of that. Your job as a witness is to say, here's what I saw, here's what I heard. Here's what I saw. Here's what I heard. You don't have to have anything prepared. You're just sharing your story. And really, that's what evangelism is all about. It's not having a prepared speech of how to share your faith. Evangelism is sharing how Jesus has changed your life. Here's who I used to be, but then I met Jesus, and now here's who I am today. I used to be an addict, but then I met Jesus and now I've been free for five years, 10 years, 30 years, however long it's been. Oh, man, my marriage was in such shambles. We were on the brink of divorce. But then I met Jesus. And now look at our marriage today. Oh, man, I used to really have an anger problem. And sometimes I would physically be violent with people. But then I met Jesus. Jesus has helped me with that. 
He's changed me. He's transformed me. So what is it in your life that you used to struggle with that you now know that, oh my goodness, if it wasn't for Jesus, my life would still be that old way? Remember what Paul wrote at the beginning? The old life is gone. The new life has come. You're a new creation. Just tell that story. Here's who I used to be, but then I met Jesus. Here's who I am today. That is huge in building a bridge of two people. So don't overcomplicate it. Just share how Jesus changed you. And then there's something else we can learn from from Andrew. Remember Andrew? He's the one that the very first thing he did was he went and he he got his brother, uh, Peter. John 1, 42. Then Andrew did what? Then Andrew, what? Brought Simon Peter to meet Jesus. One of the easiest ways that you can be a bridge builder is just simply bring people to Exponential with you each and every Sunday. You're going, Gilbert, you don't know my family members, you don't know my friends, man. They are skeptical about the whole church thing. I, I don't know. Well, good. I'm glad that they're skeptical because we have a biblical example of what to do with people that are skeptical. Let's continue on with the story. Now, remember, Andrew leads... Um, his brother Peter to Jesus, and then they start to bring people to Jesus. And then we learn the story of, of a skeptic that happens in the midst of all this. In John 1.43, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. And he found Philip, and he said to him, come, follow me. And so Philip, very much like Andrew did, he decides to start following Jesus. And now Philip, he, he wants to share this good news with others. He doesn't want to keep this good news to himself. And so we look at verse 45 then, we read, Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. But Nathanael's skeptical. Like many of your family and friends, they're skeptical of the whole Jesus thing. And Nathaniel, he decides, you know what, he's going to actually verbally share his skepticism. Look at the first part of verse 46. Nathaniel says, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. I mean, Nathaniel's going, Nazareth, man, that place is a dump. There's nothing good that comes from Nazareth. So if this Jesus dude, he's from Nazareth, I don't want to have anything to do with this Jesus guy. Now the question then becomes, how is Philip going to respond to Nathaniel's skepticism? Is he going to go, oops, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. wasn't trying to push Jesus down your throat or anything. I, I just won't speak about him again. Is that what Nathaniel's going to do? Or is Nathaniel going to go, um, all right, I'm just not going to say anything. I, I, guess, I guess I'll just go home and I'll, I'll just continue to pray for my friend Nathaniel. He's so skeptical, and I'll just pray that God soften his heart and that eventually he comes around to Jesus. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying those types of prayers. Is that what Nathaniel's going to do? No. Nathaniel decides to do something else. We read about it in the second part of verse 46. Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. How does he respond to the skepticism? He's like, dude, look, I grew up in the same neighborhood you did. Yeah, Nazareth, man. <laughs> Those people are from the wrong side of the tracks. So, I mean, 
I don't understand Nazareth either. You're, you're right. And look, I don't have this whole Jesus thing figured out at this point. I don't have all the, the questions answered myself. But here's what I do know. Jesus has changed me, and I think he could change you as well. So the only thing I know to say to you, buddy, is just come and check it out for yourself. Just come and see. That leads to the third point there on your outline, that I must be bold in inviting people to come and see. I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not, but you do realize that this entire worship experience on Sunday mornings isn't designed for Christians. A lot of churches, they design their services for Christians. But we design this not for you, but as a place that you can bring people into. Think about some of the things that we do here at Exponential that maybe you've never heard about in other churches. What do we tell people as far as giving if they're a guest? Don't give. What is one of the biggest objections that people have of the church? Oh, they're just after my money. They just, well, great, come to our church because they're going to tell you not to give. What's the excuse that so many people have? They go, well, I can't come to church because I have nothing to, I have nothing to wear. What are you guys able to say? Great, our pastor will be jeans and a t-shirt. Our dress code here at Exponential is please do, right? <laughs> Throw on a couple, <laughs> couple pieces of clothing and come on out. You know, what, what about the music? Do you, do you listen to organs and pianos all week long on your car radio? Most people know. Some people, yeah. Nothing wrong with organs and pianos, but the typical person in Harrisburg, is that the style of music they listen to all week long? No. So what do we do? We do styles of music that's more similar to, to what people listen to. Everything that we do is through that lens of if somebody walks in off the street and they've never been in a church before, is this going to make sense to them? And so it dictates everything we do from the length of how long our worship experiences are to the style of messages that I preach to the words that I use. I've shared this with you before. You never, ever hear me use these words. You need to ask Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. Now, let me ask you a question. Do people need to ask Jesus to be Lord and Savior of their lives? Yes, they do. Would Bob or Mary, who walks in off the street, they've never had a Bible before, they've never been in a church before, if I said Lord and Savior, are they going to go, oh, yeah, I know what that means? No. So we don't speak the old king's English anymore. And so how do I say it? You need to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to be the leader of your life. I've just said Lord and Savior, but I've said it in such a way that the average person, they may not agree with it, they may not actually do it, but at least it makes sense to them. And so again, this worship experience is designed as a tool for you to invite, 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 invite people to come in, to come and see. Now, why are we doing this series right now? It's because we're only three weeks away from Easter. Easter is one of those times of year, like Christmas, that people are open to an invitation to come to a church. And so I'm encouraging you, invite, 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 invite. Exponential Hagerstown, fill up Mike's living room. Every single one of you there at that campus, invite your neighbors, invite your friends, invite your coworkers, invite your family members. Fill up his living room. The same way here with you guys, invite everybody to come out. Invite, 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 invite. Let's fill up this room. 
Not for the sake of, oh, wow, we had a, a big crowd today. No, we don't do it for the numbers. We do it for eternity's sake, that people's eternal lives are at stake. And so invite people to come out. And so that's what Philip does here with his skeptical friend, Nathaniel. He's like, look, I don't understand it all, and I'm a little skeptical as well, but just come and see because there's something that happens when you get people into the same room as Jesus. In fact, just three verses later, look at what happens. Nathaniel does come out to see Jesus, and in verse 49 we read this. Nathaniel exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. In only three short verses, he goes from Nazareth, can any good thing come from Nazareth? To now he's saying that, Jesus, you are the king. Again, anytime you can get people into the presence of Jesus, something happens. And it's a supernatural thing. It's not about me. It's not about the music. It's not about even you or the building or what. It's, it's none of those things. It, that, all this does is it helps to create that bridge so that God then can do his supernatural work in their lives. There's just something about Jesus that changes people. And so here's your assignment. And ideally, you would do this assignment for the rest of your life, but I'm encouraging you just to do it for the next three weeks. Be conscious of every single person you interact with. Have that spiritual antenna up, always asking the Spirit of God, reveal to me Is there something I could say? Is there something I could do right now that would help build a bridge between you and them? So be using your influence to point people to Jesus. Make his story and his mission the number one priority of your life. And then invite, 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 invite. The absolute worst thing that could happen when you invite somebody to come out for Easter with you is they say what? No. Let me ask you a question. When you're in a restaurant and the waiter or waitress comes up and says, hey, would you like a refill on your cup of coffee? And you go, no. Do they ever go, (laughs) I can't believe they hate me. They rejected me. Oh, this is the worst day of my life. No, they don't do that. Why? Because they weren't rejecting you. What were they rejecting? The coffee. Your job is to be his ambassador. You're the ambassador of the king. When you invite, when you give his words of invitation, if they say no, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting him. That's between them and God then. So invite, 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 invite. Because again, the worst that's going to happen is they say no. The best case scenario, they say yes. And they come out. They experience Jesus and they give their lives to him. They are now reconciled of their sin. They now have that eternal life that you have. And the best thing is, wouldn't it be so cool that one day you're in heaven and people come up to you and they go, you know what? I'm here because you invited me Easter of 2023. Or, hey, I don't know you because you live like two centuries before I did. But you invited my great, 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 great grandfather to Easter of 2023 in a country called the United States. And he became a Christian that day. And that left a legacy of generation after generation in my family. 
You know what, I, I grew up in Spain. You know, my, my family moved away from the United States. And so I've never, I never even was in the United States. But because of something you did so many centuries ago, I'm in heaven today because of what you did. You built a bridge between God and my family. Wouldn't that be cool? Evangelism isn't hard. Don't make it weird. Just keep sharing your story how Jesus has changed you, and invite people to come and experience him for themselves. All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day and this opportunity to come together to once again look at your word. And your word is just so practical. We see just these stories. It wasn't hard. It was just making sharing you the first priority and, and pointing people towards you like John the Baptist did and, and just inviting people to come and see like Philip did. Lord, thank you that we have these examples, just ordinary people who, because of you, are able to do extraordinary things. Lord, we want that to be our story as well. And so, Father, I just pray that right now your spirit would be revealing to us the names of the people that we need to be inviting to come out for the Easter experience here in a couple weeks. And Lord, I pray also that daily, and not even daily, every single moment, every single second of every single day, we would not be focused on our agenda. But we would have that spiritual antenna up just going, God, I'm listening. I'm listening. Is there anybody that I can help to build a bridge with right now? And that, Lord, when you reveal those things, we would be obedient to that. Thank you, Jesus, that you're going to use us, again, just ordinary people, to do extraordinary things on your behalf. And my prayer is that one day, as I was just saying, people would come up to us in heaven and thank us because we had the boldness and the courage just to share our own personal testimony and to invite people to join us in this amazing, amazing experience called being a follower of Jesus. Jesus, thank you for saving me now almost 30 years ago. Thank you for the people I've been able to touch. And I thank you for the people that everybody in this room is going to be able to touch as well. Help our impact to be exponential, to make an incredible difference for you and for your kingdom. And it's all for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, thanks for coming in and being a part of uh, week number one here of the series. We are going to continue next week. Again, this is just a, a short little series. I want to talk to you about overcoming barriers because there are going to be some objections and, and various things that are going to come up that, that people have. And so how do you just overcome some of those barriers? And again, without being weird or, or sort of shoving religion down people's throats. So make sure you join us next week as we continue uh, the series. I do want to thank JT and his dad, John, for uh, leading us in worship. It's a little bit different than the way we would typically do it, but I thought it was really cool. And uh, so let's thank those guys for doing that. It's amazing when you get to share in ministry with your, your dad like that. My dad is actually uh, with my mom, and hi, mom and dad. They are on a missions trip in New Mexico right now, preparing for you guys to be able to go out uh, this fall to do that. Uh, but my dad is actually preaching this morning, so it's pretty cool to be thinking that, you know, the same day that I'm preaching, uh, my dad is preaching. And, you know, my, my mom and dad, and, and we all grew up, in, or uh, we didn't grow up together, I guess that didn't work, but uh, well, it was a family church, right? And very much, our family church, God was 11 to 12 on Sundays, and the rest of the time was do whatever in the world you wanted to do. And so I was the first one in the family that came into a relationship with Jesus. And so my dad became a Christian after I did, my mom then after that. I had the pleasure of actually baptizing both my mom and my dad. And so to see their growth and to see that they're giving up their lives now 
to go out to New Mexico. It's not about their agenda anymore. It's about his agenda. So they're out there and they're serving. And my dad's preaching, you know, today. That's amazing just how lives can be transformed. And so I'm just an average, ordinary person. I mean, look at me. I'm nothing special. (laughs) I'm an average, ordinary person who was changed by an extraordinary God. God wants to do the same thing in your life to help change people's lives. So it's not about us. It's all about him. That's it. I hope everybody has a great week. God bless you, and we'll see you again next week.